We are prisoners no more, and that is what we are here to celebrate and to spend time together, and we're so glad that you're here with us. If you are a second through fifth grader, you guys are welcome to head on back to Kidmo, and uh, we're going to continue with our series called Free. I missed being with you last week. I'm going to be honest, I didn't miss it that much. Uh, We were at the beach and got to celebrate Wes and Marie getting married, so congratulate them. We're excited for them, and we hope you'll join us for their reception here in a couple of weeks. Uh, And we're glad that you're here to be with us today. I think we're going to go ahead and plan to plant a church on the beach. So if you'd be interested in being in that launch team, let us know. Um, we might, I think we're starting next weekend actually. So it's going to be one of those really quick hurry up things. Uh, but it is good to be with you today. We've been talking about our series called free and, uh, our hope is that you will experience what it truly means to be free. As I get older, the more uh, I live life, the more I realize that part of living that free life is the freedom to love well. And as we struggle through to understand what does it mean to be a Christian, what does God want from us, what are we supposed to do in all of our day-to-day activities, uh, it's real easy to get bogged down into a bunch of little details and try to figure out what exactly is this life supposed to look like. But that is not the life that Jesus called us to. But over, over, over again, he continues to say, I have called you to love well. So what I want to share with you today is another area of freedom. Scott shared uh, a little bit about financial freedom last week. And financial freedom is huge because many of us get stuck in our finances and that we can't deal with anything else because that completely dominates all of our thinking. It dominates our worries, our fears. Uh, we think we, we're just not sure how we're going to make it or we're trying to manage what we've been given. Uh, and truly understanding how to handle your finances God's way is a wonderful relief for anybody, no matter what your income level is. And so we hope that you, you got a, a, some good tips out of that. But today I want to talk to you about what it looks like to be free to love. Now, I remember when I was growing up, my first true love was in second grade. I mean, it was true love. Now, Deidre knows about this, so some of you are wondering if you should take notes and go tell her. She already knows that she was not my first true love. My first true love, I can't even remember her name, but she was my true love. And the reason she was my true love was very clear to me. I mean, God just revealed to me in a very special way why this was to be my true love. And number one, she carried a wallet in her back pocket and not a purse. That's a good sign for a woman. So if you're looking for a woman out there, if she has a wallet instead of a purse, you're in good company. All right. Number two, she loved the Atlanta Falcons and she wore their T-shirts all the time. So I knew she was the woman for me. So anyways, we dated for two years. Now, when I say dating, what I mean by that is we would pass a note about once a semester to each other. And then um, the moment of reality for what relationships were really all about hit me when she wanted to call and talk on the phone. And I knew by then it was over. She was asking for too much, too needy, and I couldn't be I couldn't be bogged down. I wasn't you know, I was in third grade at the time. Life was moving very quickly and I didn't have time for that anymore. You know, the truth about love is we have lots of different ideas about what it means to be in love. 
And one of my hesitations about a sermon like what we're going to talk about today is that there are so many different ideas of what love is. It's very difficult to spend a short period of time trying to lay out what it means to love well. But I'm going to try to do that. And all of this comes through our primary verse for this series from Galatians 5.1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are free to truly love. And Jesus goes on to talk about what does it look like to be free in him. And this is what he says when he talks about all of the instructions that God has ever given to his people. In Matthew 22, it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus literally said all of the instructions that you have received are to point you in one direction. And we have misunderstood that direction for so long to mean we are supposed to do all these little individual behavioral things in order to please God. And yet that was never the, bo- the point. That was never the goal It was always to show us how to love as God loves. So as we go through this and we begin to talk about what is love, I thought we would go to a source of good advice, wisdom, and information and see what Facebook had to say about love. So here's some, I brought some visual aids for you today. True love means never having to explain your Star Wars references. Anybody in the room? That's true love right there. Next one. My heart aches when you're not with me. Just makes me want to throw up. But for some of you, you love it. You know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. If you're not experiencing that kind of love, you have failed at life. That's all I have to say. All right. Okay, how about this? I'm not singing it. All right. This is applicable to some in the room, apparently. All right. Maybe, maybe you're struggling in your relationships. She's ignoring you. Kill her family, so she needs a crying shoulder. Helpful tip. Don't tell anybody you got it here. This summarizes my love life. I'm the guy in blue... Which is that guy way back there. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. Some of you are struggling in your love life. This candy's got a better love life than me. That's very sad. It's a factory mistake right there. That's very sad. Love is in the air? Wrong. Nitrogen, carbon, and oxygen is in the air. We have some bitter people on Facebook. And finally, if you can't get love any other way, demand it. Come back and love me. So if you are looking for any answers on love and what does it mean to love well, Facebook is your resource to go help you deal with all of life's challenges and problems and what does it look like to truly love. John Piper talks about love in this way. He says that you can tell what a person loves by what he devotes himself to most passionately. That is what we truly love. What do we devote ourselves to most passionately? I want you 
throughout this morning and really through the week to begin to think in your own life, where do you devote yourself most passionately? Where do you devote your time and your attention? Where do you devote your resources? Where are you constantly trying to work on that is what you love? Do an assessment. Write it out on a sheet of paper. It might surprise you what are the things that we truly love. What we know about God is that God devoted himself to us. And that's regardless of our sin. Now, the reason that's important is because many of us have come into the world with one definition of love only to be hurt time and time again to change what that definition is. God devoted himself to us regardless of who we are and the mess that's in our lives. And he chose to give his son so that we can have life. But it doesn't take long for a person to believe or to know and recognize that in the world today, you are often loved not because of just who you are, but you are loved by what you do or what you provide for someone. Many times we struggle with the concept of love because we want to be loved and we want to be loved unconditionally, but we are scared to let people know who we really are because we recognize for a lot of people, their love is dependent on me looking a certain way and playing a certain part for them. Fortunately, that's not the kind of love God has for us. If that were the kind of love that God has for us, then he would not give freely out of grace and mercy the gift of his son on a cross. Instead, we would still have the law that says you will do the right parts if you want to be approved. Problem was, none of us were able to do that. God knew that. And his love was not dependent or conditional on us doing something or being something. He just loved us. So as we look through, what does it look like to be free in Christ? What does it look like to be free from sin? What you are truly free from, you are free from having to live your life as the rest of the world lives theirs. Having to focus your life on the things that the rest of the world is focusing on. And you are free to experience what is good, what is great, and what is given by God. I want to share with you a passage of Scripture from 1 John. If you want to be turning there, you can. We're going to be looking, beginning with chapter 4. If you have a cell phone or a tablet or something, you can follow along on version. It's a great place just to uh, read Scripture. You can find a reading plan if you want to be on a Bible reading plan and keep up with it there. It will send you reminders. And uh, also, we put all of our notes from the sermon on there. Not all of them, but most of the ones you see on the slides are, will be on there as well. So be, you are, feel free to do that. John 3.16 is a verse that most of us know, or we've at least heard. If there is a verse that most Christians have memorized besides Jesus wept, this is the one. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, what I want you to understand as we go through not only this, but the next few verses is that love is defined in many different ways in the original languages of our scripture. And so where you and I may use the same word for love, I love my spouse, I love my children, I love when the Fruit Loops have been restocked. We may use the same word, but it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing. In the original languages, they literally use different words to mean different things. And, and so you'll find for the word love in your Bibles, where it's translated the same word over and over again as love, That word may be a completely different word. And when we talk about God's love, there is one particular word. Do you know what that word is? Agape. Some of you have heard this before. Anybody know another word in Scripture for love? Eros, which is more of a romantic 
uh, feeling sexual love, phileo, that's where Philadelphia gets its name, brotherly love. But the love that God has for us and the, the love that we receive when we read verses like John three sixteen and what we're going to read in all of 1 John 4 and 5, what we're going to find is that love is talking about agape love. That is a God-born, God-given love that only he is able to impart to us but we can experience ourselves. So when we read that, phileo, love is brotherly love. That's, we are good friends. We are there for each other. We take care of each other. But we all know that there are some friendships that can end over something that happens. Agape love is the kind of love that never ends. It's the kind of love that continues to give. And it's the kind of love that says, I don't care who you are, what you do. I choose to love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is his love for us, that he came to break the enslavement that we are in. Because before Christ, we were enslaved to an idea of love that was circumstantial. So the way that circumstantial love looks is this. I love those who are attractive to me. If I'm attracted to you, it's easier for me to love you. I love those who are like me. You have the same likes and interests that I do. It's easier to love someone like me. You talk like me. You don't do the things I wouldn't do. And so it's easier for me to love you. But if that changes, my love for you would change as well. I love people that say good things about me. But if you ever say something to me that does not feel good, that love could change. That's circumstantial love. It's the kind of love that we walk on eggshells for fear that we're going to lose. It's easy to love people who do stuff for us. And when we stop doing those things, maybe they're going to stop loving us so we continue to do them. There are so many relationships that are unhealthy in the world today that are built on this circumstantial love that says, as long as you are this I will love you. And so a person makes sure to be that. Because one of our greatest fears is to live a life without love. One of our greatest fears. You may think, that's not one of my fears. I fear all kinds of things. But I don't fear not being loved. And I would say that if that is your mindset, then you are feeling love from a lot of different places. You may not even realize it. But one of the greatest things to lose in life is to have someone that loves you. You can tell a person, again, John Piper says, you can tell what a person loves by what he devotes himself to most passionately. Good question to ask ourselves today is not just what do we love, because we can love both people and things, but where or who are we devoted to? Who are we devoted to? Who is devoted to us? What does it look like to truly have a love relationship? What I believe and what I want to share in First John, John is that because of God's love, that not only can we love God, but we can love each other in that same way, unconditionally. So let's look at First John chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse 7. And because not everything breaks down easily among the headings of your scripture, we're going to look at the first few verses of chapter 5 because it follows up with the same idea or same instruction. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is what? From God. And whoever loves has been born of God. And what does it say? 
knows God. Let's just read that again. In fact, let's just all read it together. This, ne- this is the most important verse of the day. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and... Now, let's just let that soak in. The ability to love, and I'm not talking about circumstantial love. Anybody can do circumstantial love. Anybody can say, you know, I like you, or you're pretty, or you're handsome, or you make me feel good. So it's easy for me to love you. I'm not talking about that. But true love, the kind of love that says no matter what you've done or who you are, I choose to love you, is capable only when it comes from God, and it is only accessible to those who know God. True love only comes to those who know God. This is one of the reasons that scripture says don't be yoked to an unbeliever because the idea of what love is between a person who knows God and loves God has received the love from God. They are able to give that love in a different way than a person who has not. And so it's important that whenever we talk about our closest relationships, the ability to love others is dependent on your ability to know God. God. Sometimes we think that it works the other way around. Once I truly can love, I may know God then, but that's not the case. It's when we truly submit and know God that we begin to love him. This word agape, I thought, well, let's just see what Wikipedia says about agape, because normally Wikipedia is not a good Bible study resource. I'll just tell you. However, let's just look and see what they say about this word agape. And it says this, it says agape is Love, the highest form of love, charity, the love of God for man and man for God, not to be confused with phileo or brotherly love. Agape embraces a universal, unconditional love that transcends, that serves regardless of circumstances. That's pretty good. Wikipedia got it right. I don't know who submitted that, but they did a good job on that one. That love that God has for us and the love that we can have for God, the kind that is selfless and the kind that does not depend on circumstances. Now, if you're in the room and you have experienced this kind of love in your life, then you listen to something like this with a smile on your face. I know that. That is real. I, I have experienced that. I can feel that. that. This is good stuff. This is the kind of love that is the reason that I follow Christ and that I love God. He first loved me in such an incredible way. But if you've never experienced unconditional love, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. Now, ideally, you have grown up in a family that that family has provided for you unconditional love. Ideally, that is what, as parents, we give to our children. Now, we can get mad, right? We can, you can be in trouble. If I've got to bring out my big dad voice, you're in trouble at my house. But that doesn't mean our love is not still unconditional. I've never been so angry at my children that I didn't love them. Now, that is... The reality for some of our families. However, some of you came up in families with no responsibility on your own. You were born into a family that did not show you unconditional love. You learned early on you had to behave, you had to do the right things, and you had to keep your mouth shut at the right times if you wanted any kind of affection from a parent. 
And one of the most difficult things for a person to overcome is understanding love when that has been their experience as a child. But I want you to know that no matter who you are, if you have learned that love is circumstantial, if you have learned that love is only if you do the right things, act the right way, say the right things, that's the only way that you're lovable, I want you to know that is not true and that God's love for you His willingness to set us free from sin and give his son on the cross for all of us is for every single person. You are lovable. Maybe not, you know, cute kitten lovable. Some of you, I can see you right now. You're not cute kitten lovable, but God loves you. Okay? I'm not cute kitten lovable either, so. As I look through agape love, the three words that continue to come to my mind when I think about what this looks like in my relationship with God is unconditional, unselfish, and sacrificial. Now think about it. Think about somebody you love deeply. It is likely unconditional. They're not going to lose it. It is likely unselfish. I'm not saying we're not selfish at times. But overall, it's unselfish. I want what's best for them. I'm not using them for what I think is best for me. I want what's best for them. Number three is sacrificial. I will give up something of myself for them. If they're hurting, I'll be there for them. If they need something, I will be there for them. Even if it puts me in a difficult spot, it's sacrificial. Let's go on. First John chapter 4, verse 8. It goes on and it says, Anyone... Who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Another crucial idea here. God is love. God does not love. It's not an action of his. This is the very person of who God is. He is love, which is hard for us to understand because you and I view love as an action or a feeling. We, we can't truly look at a person and go, that person is love. I mean, we don't even know what that would look like. That would be kind of weird. God is Love, he is the very embodiment of what every good thing about love is. That is who God is. God is love. And in this love, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Let that soak in. See, some of us grew up in religious systems that said God's love was dependent on your faithfulness. That's a real problem for me because I'm not faithful 100% of the time. Anybody else? I'm not faithful, only a couple of you. The rest of you, this sermon does not apply to you at all. But for those two or three of you out there that are with me, (laughs) I'm not faithful 100% of the time. I would like to say I'm more faithful now than I was up to now. But I'm not faithful 100% of the time. If I have to be faithful 100% of the time in order to receive God's love, I'm in trouble and so are you. We do not have to be perfect people to be loved. His love was never dependent on what we did first. Instead, God's love always preceded everything. It was always offered to us first before we even had the opportunity to do anything that was lovely. The love was just there. It just emanates from God. He just offers it to us. It's not that we have loved God, but he loved us first. Some of you know what that feels like, to love someone who doesn't return that love to you. I know within our family, we've sometimes struggled, not with my immediate family, but 
we have family members. I'm not going to tell you who they are because they may not want me to, but we've had family members struggle with others that they have loved but were incapable of love. Some of my extended family have mental conditions that they are truly incapable of loving others. And so if you grow up with someone that you love desperately and they are incapable of returning that love to you, it can be a very devastating thing for you. Honestly, truthfully, that is a relationship you and I have with God. We are incapable of returning to him what he offers us unless we know him. If we know him, then we have the opportunity to experience and return what he first gave us. Verse 11 says, or let me go back to verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love who? Who, who is that? Could you point to one of those people? I don't care who it is, just point. You can point to more than one if you want to. Because some of you guys aren't very lovable. You didn't give me a hug when you walked in the door. Now, as soon as you try to give me a hug when you leave, I might punch you. But for the sake of my illustration here, some of you guys didn't show me much love this morning. If, we, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're going to come back to that. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. I believe the most apparent description of anyone that truly knows God is this. They love well. Now take a moment and think of who in your life do you know that loves well. Let me put you on the spot for a minute. I want you to think of who that person is that loves well. What is it about them that makes them love well? If you can think of something, just say it out. Say it out loud. Patience, compassion. Put your needs before their needs. That's supernatural, by the way. Empathy. What else? Long suffering. Yeah. Somebody else said something over here? Selflessness? Yeah. There's no more apparent characteristic of a person who truly knows and loves God in that they love well. And I'm not going to assume that all of us in here love well 100% of the time. You are still a person. You are still human. You are not God. You do not have the ability, and you have never been described as being love. You are not love as God is love. He is so much more capable of that. However, those who spend time with him have received that love, not only give it back to him, God says, you will give it to others. Remember what Jesus said the command, the greatest commandment, the entire law, which it means all the instructions in the Old and New Testament, all of it revolves around one thing to push us to one thing, and that is that we will love God, and just like that, we will love other people. Everything, all of God's involvement with us, all of the things that you read about are to push us to love God and to love people. The problem is that we don't always look at what true love is as true love, do we? Sometimes I don't want you to love me with true love because as we read through some of the 
passages of scripture that God has given us, some of that love requires discipline. And discipline doesn't feel like love, does it? The reason discipline doesn't feel like love is because we often move our minds into the realm of worldly love outside of the realm of godly love. But I think most parents in the room would say, I discipline my child because I love my child. Now, as a child, I never interpreted my parents' discipline as love. Not one time. Never interpreted it that way. But I also was a child. I was immature. I I had not grown. I didn't understand those things. But as we get older, we begin to understand more deeply. And the ability to love well is so crucial. I remember when I was in high school and we were, everybody wants to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, you know, walk around the school and feel like you've got somebody to be with you. And at that, when I entered into high school, love for me was very much about conditional love. Was I attracted to you? Were you funny? Did we have fun together? And when you're dating, that's kind of what dating is about. I mean, those are the things that tend to drive us. We're not, I'm not trying to encourage you to unconditionally love everybody and then marry one of them. There are other characteristics when we talk about that. But it was very much conditional for me. The people I liked, I liked for a reason. And I did not like a lot of other people. And I remember I had one friend. His name was Jay. Jay did not like me. There were love was not a word that guys typically used to describe about each other, but he didn't even like me. Gave me a hard time, made fun of me all the time. We were not friends, and um, I did not like Jay, and Jay did not like me. When I was a sophomore in high school is when I gave my life to Christ, and I began to see that the way I'm living my life is not the way that leads to anything. It's just me trying to get people to love me and me trying to fit in and me not knowing where in the world I'm going with my life, having no direction whatsoever. You know, as a parent, you have the opportunity to pretty much control your children the first years of their life. But once they get older, you start to lose some of that ability. They begin to believe that you're not as all-knowing as you think you are. And so for me, I had entered that time and my parents could not direct where I was going with my life. And so my love and affection for others was dependent upon who they were and what they provided for me. When I was a sophomore in high school and I decided to change all that, something began to happen to me that I didn't quite understand. And it wasn't really cool with everybody else at school, but I began to see people differently. And I remember there was a pivotal moment in that time shortly after I became a Christian that I changed the way. And I don't, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect at this, but in this moment, it was a defining moment for how I would treat people moving forward. And I remember Jay was going through one of the greatest crises of his life. His girlfriend had broken up with him. It wasn't really the greatest crisis of his life, but it sure feels like that when you're in high school. His girlfriend had broken up with him and he was just lost. And so I saw Jay, and he was upset, and he was pulling away from everybody else. And I thought, that's weird. I knew he had broken up with his girlfriend. They were a big item in our group. And so I spent the next two hours with Jay just encouraging him, talking with him, goofing off with him, and doing stuff I never, ever wanted to do with Jay before. 
And Jay received it because Jay was hurting. Now, I'd like to tell you that Jay and I are still good friends. He's in the audience today, and I'm going to have him up and talk about this wonderful moment. But I haven't talked to Jay in 20 years. That's not the kind of relationship it worked out as. That moment was not about me having a new best friend. The moment was about me saying, I know you don't like me and you've made my life hard, but you deserve to be loved and you need some love right now. That was a defining moment for me. Now, I would probably handle that situation different now than I did it then. That time then had to do with some things that were gray in the area of law enforcement, but we were, I was encouraging him. Still a young Christian, still a young Christian, you understand. So, But as I've grown, I would do things differently, but it was still a pivotal moment for me to say, my love is not about what you can do for me, but my love is about what I can do for you. And I learned that from God, not from anybody else. I learned it from my parents as well. They helped me to see that, but I never fully understood it until I felt God's love, truly. The truth is, when it comes to love, it's a choice that we have to make. And the reality is that some of us in the room are not necessarily experiencing love. And that has nothing to do with who you are. It may have something to do with how you see God at the moment. Let's look at verse, chapter 4, verse 13. It says this. It goes on. Okay, this is good stuff. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not feeling it. How do I go about experiencing this? Verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his, what's the word? Spirit. This is what is unique among Christians in the entire world, that no one else has this but them and God, is that you are endowed with the Holy Spirit. Not only is his love for you so overly incredible that he doesn't expect you to repay it or to be even lovely, he just chooses to love you. He sent his son knowing that many would reject it outright. He still sent his son to die for us. And then he said, I will give my spirit to live within you so that all of these things I'm promising you, you can experience. One of the reasons that we struggle to experience this kind of love is because some of us may not truly have ever experienced the Holy Spirit. Now, what I mean by that, not that you have to go through some special service in order to get the Holy Spirit. There are some religious backgrounds that believe that you're not truly a Christian until you have this special anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yet scripture never says that a person who commits their life to Christ, who bows their knee to him in humility and repentance says, I am a sinner worthy of nothing. You have died for me so that I can live for you. A person that knows Christ is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with that, the ability to do so many things not the least of which is to love others well. So when you look at somebody who loves well, they likely have had an experience beyond what is normal in this world. They love well. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. See, our ability to truly love with this agape love, this unconditional, sacrificial love, is dependent on the Holy Spirit working in us. I can't manufacture it. I can't make it happen. I can't watch somebody who does it well figure out all the tricks and moves and just lay that over my idea of love. That's not the way love works. 
Instead, it is only because of the Holy Spirit that you and I have the ability to love. My question is, if we're not loving well, if we're always at odds with others, if people are always making us angry, if we're always thinking of, well, this person needs to do this or that or the other or whatever, the question may be, what are we doing within our lives that is keeping the Spirit from being able to work within our hearts to love others well? 1 John four sixteen says this. It says, so we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because, the, because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have two big ideas here. One is just the idea of the gospel. We have been given Jesus Christ, and that is how God has shown his love for us. We don't have to be afraid of the coming judgment. Instead, because of God's love, we are exempt from that judgment, even though we still have committed many of the same sins that make us guilty. We are exempt from that, and so we don't have to fear that judgment. That's what he's saying. But he goes on to say, if you have this love, it will be demonstrated in your love for other people. God wants us not only to fully experience his love, but he also does not want us to fear his judgment. As we look through this, this is where we begin to understand that love is not a command. In other words, David, go love somebody. It's not a command. Dale, go love somebody. You're not loving them well. You need to love them better, and that'd be a fun thing. Have somebody come up and say, you're just a bad, you're just a bad lover. That, of course, means something else in other contexts. But you're just, you don't love well. It's not a command. It's an expression of who we've become. So if we're trying so hard and we're reading books on how to love people better, the truth is we just need to spend more time with the one who has given us love, who has demonstrated it. And it changes who we are so that it's no longer a task but it's an expression of what God has done within our lives. I want you to know that this means that you can love people that others don't. That is the very reason that journey exists, to love other people, to love people that others don't. If we are going to follow Christ, we have to be willing to do this. If we're going to truly experience the love of God, then we love the people that other people don't love. That means we love people of different ethnicities. That means we love people of different religious backgrounds. And if we really want to be serious about this, it means not only do we not hate our brother, but we still love the people that hate us. See, it's very tempting. This conditional love is this quid pro quo kind of thing. As long as you're on the up and up and you're being lovable, I will love you. But what happens when the person's not being lovable? Do we stop loving? 
If you live in the world and you love with the worldly kind of love, the answer is yes, we stop loving. Are you kidding me? Why, why give that to somebody if they don't appreciate it? That's the way the world sees it. It's transactional. There's a scarcity of it. There's only so much love to go around. And so therefore I have to hold on to what it is. It's a precious commodity and I choose to give it to you. And if you're no longer worthy, I take it back. But God never said that. He said, you love everybody. Even if they hate you, you think, Mark, that's crazy. We need to love those who hate our religion. We need to love the terrorist that bombs us and cuts our heads off. We need to love the people that are trying to tear us down to our friends and our coworkers. I think, Mark, you're going a little too crazy. Well, let's see what Jesus said. That always helps me. It says, but I say to you, Matthew 5, love your enemies. You know, it's easy to think of my enemy as somebody who beat me in line at the Walmart checkout. That's my enemy. That's not really what he's talking about here. That person took my parking space. That's my enemy. That's not really what he's talking about here. He's talking about a person who wants to take your life, wants to take your children's life, wants to torture you. Love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In other words, as you are emulating God's love, love the people who are hurting you. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we know when we see that word perfect, it means whole, complete. We're experiencing that love and we are passing it on. When we understand that the law was meant to show us how to love, it changes the way we see the law. And I told you we need, we're going to bleed over, and I'm almost through. Hang in there with me. We're going to bleed over into chapter 5. The first five verses says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? A friend of mine who is a pastor here in town, uh, he likes to use the word family to describe their congregation regularly, but he posted something yesterday I completely stole from, and it's the phrase that just says, we over me. This is love. Together, instead of just me. We over me. It's the kind of love that he gives us. It's the kind of love that changes us. As I finish up, I just want to read you. I just want to read you a quick story. It's, uh, I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to try to recount it. I just want to read it to you. It's by a, uh, a Christian author, Dr. Robert Roberts, about a fourth, fourth grade class in a balloon stomp. Anybody remember the balloon stomps? You know, you stomp on their balloon. If you can't get their balloon, you stomp on their foot. It's just as much fun. That's what we used to do. 
Robert Roberts writes about a fourth grade class in which the teacher introduced a game called the balloon stomp. A balloon was tied to every child's ankle, and the object of the game was to pop everybody else's balloon while protecting their own. The last person with an intact balloon would win the game. The concept was, was, if I win, then you lose. The nine-year-olds entered into the spirit of things vigorously. When the battle was over in a matter of seconds, only one balloon was still inflated. And, of course, its owner was the most disliked kid in the room. Nobody likes the winner but the winner, right? A second class came later that day and was asked to play the same game. Only this time, the class was filled with developmentally uh, disabled children. The balloon stomp proceeded quite differently. When the instructions were given, it seemed the only idea they grasped was that the balloons were supposed to be popped. But instead of fighting each other off, the children got the idea that they were supposed to help one another pop balloons. They formed a kind of balloon stomp co-op. One little girl knelt down and held her balloon carefully in place like the holder for a field goal kicker, while a little boy stomped it flat and then knelt down and held his his balloon still for her to stomp. On and on it went, all the children helping one another in the great stomp. When the very last balloon was popped, everybody cheered and everybody won. What a great story. If you've spent any time with special needs children, you you know that they are one of the most wonderful group of people in the world. They love better than all the rest of us normal people. They don't have the same needs. They don't have the same ego. They don't have the same struggles that we do for dominance because most of us still act as if our love is conditional on performance. They don't have that. They just love. It's one of the reasons that we love working with Down syndrome children. You know, it's one of the groups of children in our world that is every single time a parent comes in and there's a genetic marker for a Down syndrome child, in most cases a doctor will encourage them to abort that child, and many do. And yet if you talk to parents of a child with Down syndrome, what they will tell you in almost every single case is that that child was the greatest blessing that could ever have been given to them. The reality is that child taught them how to love. Because when we love with that self-sacrificial, giving, unconditional, this is something I have to give you, not something I'm trying to get for something else. When we experience that, our sense of peace, wholeness, and well-being goes to a whole new level. So what I would encourage you is in your faith, in your walk with Christ, you deal with stuff every single day. You go to work and you work with people that do not understand the concept of agape love. You've got people at home you're going to ride home in the car with. They don't quite get the concept of agape love yet. You're going to have all kinds of stresses that are going to attack you. You're going to have all kinds of decisions you're going to make. You're not going to know what the right decision is going to be. You're going to have people calling for your time and attention. All those things may be good things, but they will encourage you to spend your time on them rather than developing this relationship with God. This is not something new. This has happened from the very beginning, and this is exactly why we have Galatians 5.1. Do not submit yourself to a yoke of slavery. Remember what we have. Prioritize that. Because what we devote ourselves to, as John Piper tells us, that is what we love. 
So I'm going to encourage you this week to devote yourselves to the things that truly matter. To recognize that the Holy Spirit is going to show you how to love better. Are you fostering the Holy Spirit to be able to work within your life? Are you spending time with Him? Are you reading God's Word? Are you spending time in meditation and prayer? Are you struggling with how do I adapt this worldly mind to these supernatural ideas? How do I change And I want to encourage you that when you do that, you will experience a sense of wholeness and well-being. You will experience an ability to love others and to receive love that goes beyond anything you ever imagined. So if I leave you with two ideas to sum all that up, God loves us with an unconditional, sacrificial, unselfish, and non-circumstantial type of love. That's how he loves you. If you screwed up this week, that has not affected in one way how much God loves you. If you think God's abandoned you because you have screwed up, that is not the way God works because God doesn't love. God is love. His love for you does not change no matter what. And finally, when we truly experience God's love, we are free to truly love others as well. It is my hope that as a community, that's what we will do, is that we will love others well. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the incredible love we have in Christ. I thank you that your love did not depend on me being perfect. It did not depend on me keeping everything just right or checking any boxes. But your love was just just because you loved me. I thank you that you have given that love to every person who has ever lived on this world, even those that have outright rejected you. Father, I know there are times that we all feel that we are not loved. We struggle know there are people in this room today, they are struggling with not feeling loved. And I pray that through your spirit, you would empower them to experience that kind of love that you have given them and that they can love you back. I pray that you would help us to love you with an unconditional, unselfish, sacrificial love. Rather than asking for you to fix things or to make our lives better, we can just love you well. Help us not to see you as our big Santa Claus in the sky, but as our creator, as our savior, as the one who has taught us to love because you are love. Help us to see and experience that and pass that on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.